Welcome, 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 welcome everybody to yet another episode of the Don't Be Broke, Be Woke podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Solomon. I'm pretty excited today, actually. I have, I don't want to say a topic, but I think I have a pretty good episode for today. Something that I actually haven't done since I think January, discussing individual stocks and some of my five favorite stocks right now, looking at some things on my watch list. Uh, I've been very careful not to do episodes about individual stocks, or at least stocks that I that I'm into as much, just because I um, don't want people to look at this as advice. But I do get quite often questions about what companies that people should look into, and et cetera, et cetera. So I thought I'd use this this episode to kind of talk about five specific stocks that I think are good options for you to really look into. I'm not saying you should buy them or whatnot. So you know, we'll talk about those today. Before we get started, of course, always remember that this is not financial advice. Anything that I'm discussing today are just discussions, opinions of mine. So you should always be doing your own research and analysis before you make any investments. So anytime you want to get into a particular stock or a company or a fund or whatever it is, you should always do your due diligence. Don't ever, ever have someone tell you specifically what you should be doing. I myself always say this is what I would do, but it's up to you to make the decision if this is indeed something that you'd want to do. Never tell anybody no, because at the end of the day, you know what you're doing more. You know what's really more of importance to you than I am. So always remember that. So besides that, pretty excited June, summertime, vacation for me where I get to go away for about a week. I'll talk about that future episode more so about how that process went into into play. Folks are always interested to know about, you know, how I pick my vacation spots, how much do I spend and stuff like that. So I'm sure I'll find some time to discuss. Also before we get started, I also want to to thank the hundreds of you who have supported me throughout this journey with the podcast. We're almost at 40 episodes. That's kind of remarkable for me. I celebrate any win as a big win because it's a step forward. And through this journey, I've been able to help, you know, a few people here and there with their own financial journeys. And at the end of the day, this is really what this is for. This is to try to get you on the path of financial independence, financial freedom, to be able to do whatever the hell you want to do once you get to that point. And so some folks, they already have a system. They're just needing an extra push. Others don't. At the end of the day, this is really what it is. Personal finance is personal. So everybody's situation, though they might look like yours, really depends on their goals and their um, specific expectations. So again, thank you for the many of you who supported me, who've provided feedback, comments. So I appreciate that. As always, you're a fan of the episode of the podcast, make sure you go ahead and subscribe, leave a comment on Apple reviews. So that would go a long way on showing your appreciation for the podcasts, and so I appreciate that. So let's just kind of get into this piece of the specific companies that I myself have been looking at. I have a watch list of potentially 35, maybe 40 different companies. They're very different in what they do, and which is why I wanted to talk to you guys about them today. So the first company I'm sure you guys are very familiar with, and this is Zoom, right? So There's no question why Zoom, which basically they're called Zoom Video Communication, they became classified as a pandemic stock. Why? Well, prior to the pandemic, though we knew what Zoom was, I don't know that Zoom would have ever taken off the way it did 
if it wasn't because of the pandemic, right? Zoom's video conferencing was the, the tool that pretty much allowed schools to reconvene remotely, companies to connect with employees in a work at home environment that they really never anticipated. And, um, you know, family and friends to stand in touch despite so much um, social distancing. I know I use it quite a bit. I use it a lot during some of my meetings with folks. And to be honest, one of the reasons why I like Zoom, it's because it really became a verb, right? We're Zooming, like, you know, let's go ahead and I Zoom them. Like, anytime you can start using a word for a company in that way, it has left its mark in society. I've always had my kind of hesitancy about Zoom in, in regards to can they consistently stay afloat? And so far, they've showed me that. I will say that the company is very expensive, at least from a valuation perspective, but it has come down quite a bit from where it was six, seven months ago. So I think this is really one of the reasons why I'm looking into it now. The other thing that I think is important is that the pandemic also presented an opportunity for Zoom video to kind of show that it was serious about innovating and addressing some of the security issues and reliability that it's been dealing with. So I think that was kind of important. They're continuing to innovate. I think they surveyed something like close to 7,700 people in 10 different countries regarding the, the video communication during the pandemic and what they expected once it was over. And I think the key takeaway was that the majority of these people expected that the virtual chats will continue to play a part in the future. And so every one of these people, the majority of them anyways, assume or at least expected this to continue even past the pandemic. So what Zoom did with that in mind was announce an all-in-one platform for hosting virtual events and conferences, and they'll be ready by the summer. So Zoom is ahead of the game thinking about how can we continue to innovate to make our platform the number one platform for video conferencing as we move forward. So one of the things that I think is important when you're looking at a company is how healthy is it? Is the company making money and how are they basically using that money to continue to innovate, right? So Zoom is emerging from the pandemic as a very healthy company. It has more than $4 billion in cash and marketable securities. It generated $454 million in free cash flow for the most recent quarter. It has more than 497,000 business customers with more than 10 employees, and it remains profitable. So these key points are one of the main reasons why I think Zoom by itself will continue to be able to innovate and be the top line video conferencing company out there. It really will not continue to be a COVID stock. It has a durable business. And if you don't have a position in Zoom, in other words, if you don't own any Zoom stock, it might be a good time to start looking into that. If you do, maybe you add your position to it, right? So the price tag for it is expensive. It's $366 and some change. So it is something that's pretty pricey as far as the price per share. But again, you have the ability to buy fractional shares if you wanted to. So definitely something to look at as far as a specific company to, to get into if you wanted to. The second company is one that might be very, very unknown to a lot of you, but it is a company called Upstart. So the ability to access credit, whether it be through credit cards or through loans, is a vital step in building some kind of financial stability for a lot of people. I am not of the mindset, and I think I've talked about this in a couple episodes ago, that you should not have credit. 
The Dave Ramsey aspect of credit is not good, is just something that I'm not going to support. Anyone who's become somebody of substance did it with credit. If you're going to build businesses, you need credit. For you to basically buy stuff, you need credit. Unless you have massive amount of cash in which you just want to use that cash and just pay stuff in cash, you can do that. But you're not leveraging one aspect, which is using other people's money to be able to do more stuff for you, right? So under the traditional loan approval process, banks typically looked at several factors, mostly including the FICO scores, when they're accessing borrower's risk. But the process is really inefficient for many borrowers, right? Some are sidled with interest rates that are a lot higher than their true risk level warrants. And this is really one thing that I think as we move forward in the next decade and so forth is the the way lenders are looking at people to assess their risk level. FICO has always been looked that way, but is there other ways to look and tell? Sure, their FICOs might not be what we want them to be, but are they really better than that FICO, right? So because of that, a lot of people are locked out of loans completely. And this is where Upstart comes in. It's a fintech company that's aiming to disrupt the industry by giving banks better data. So Upstart is actually looking at an individual and basically saying, hey, banks, I'm able to determine a borrower's true risk. And this way, it allows a lot of people to be able to access credit. So Upstart's AI platform, power platform, connects consumers with banks and uses something like 15 billion cells of data to determine the true risk of a borrower by predicting the likelihood of defaulting, making regular payments, or paying off early. So in other words, instead of just your credit score, they're looking at you as an individual, and that that platform, that AI platform, is basically making an assessment based on that individual with a lot of different things. And the banks are willing to take that risk because they believe in upstart, right? And as their portfolio grows, the banks are now understanding shit. This is actually working quite well, and they're willing to basically do more business with Upstart. So given the company's disruptive spirit, it should come as no surprise that Upstart's co-founders actually have a background in technology and analysis. So one of the things is that the co-founders are both former Google executives, and the third co-founder came from a company that did stuff with predictive models and basically has a background in risk. So obviously, the people who built the company know what they're doing, right? They have a vision, they have the background, they understand the risks of their own business if they don't get this right. And so their whole idea is to make sure they're doing that. The company has had solid growth. In 2020, the total revenue increased 42% year over year, and more than 300,000 loans originated on the platform. That's a 40% increase from what it was the year prior. And... Upstart was profitable in 2020. To me, that's one of the biggest things when I look at companies are, are they profitable? Sure, there are companies that are not profitable that can still be pretty good companies. But from a sustainable perspective, if you are profitable, you're more likely to continue to be in business and be able to innovate. They had a net income of about $6 million and their losses was like 0.5 million in 2019. So, even though they're doing all this, I still see as a has a lot of room to grow as it continues to expand in other markets. Upstart is basically estimating that it makes up less than 5% of the $92 billion U.S. market for unsecured personal loans. So obviously, they're small. They're penny small compared to what's available out there. 
But their growth plan doesn't end there. The company recently added auto loans to its offering and aims to enter the mortgage and credit card origination market, which would expand its addressable market to $3.4 trillion. $3.4 trillion is the total addressable market for this category of auto loans and mortgages, etc., and credit card originations. So even if they hit just a small percentage of that total addressable market, they're going to continue to grow, right? So for me, when you have an AI platform that provides bank with better data, increases the borrower's access to credit, Upstart is solving an important problem, but they're generating profit while they're doing it. And it's making it a disruptive fintech, you know, very compelling investment idea. So when you're looking at a portfolio that you're building, you need to, you know, diversify on the type of companies that you're basically using, right? So I just talked about a Zoom communication, which is really more focused on a technology of video conferencing as they grow. This is a fintech company that's basically going to continue to like disrupt that market and grow that way. The current price is about $125-ish. So again, pricey for a newer company, but a company that will probably grow over the next decade as it continues to disrupt the marketplace. So a company that I think people should look at, do your research, understand, is this something you believe in? Is this something you think it's true? Is this something you feel like the company is going to continue to do? If so, it's something you could probably add a position or increase your, your specific position. The third company that I'm going to talk about, I personally would not invest in this mostly because I have kind of the sister company of this, but this is Square. I own PayPal, so I don't want to also own Square, but Square's story is so, so compelling. So I thought it'd be a good idea to discuss this, right? One, Square has increased in its, its investment in Bitcoin. It also bought Hello and Title, and it survived the global pandemic. So obviously, they're here to stay. I'm sure many of you guys look at Square as terminal and a legacy transaction company, but Square has grown its ecosystem a lot over the past couple of years, right? In Square's most recent quarter, their gross profit rose 79%, and its seller system was up 32%. The best part, though, is Cash App is up 171% year over year. That's massively crazy, 171% year over year, mostly due to the fact that during the pandemic, clearly, a lot of Gen Z folks who use Cash App quite a lot we're using it to send money, but also to trade. So Cash App grew exponentially, just like Venmo has grown for PayPal during the same time frame. The massive global adoption of digital payments just basically just exploded for Cash App. Their Bitcoin revenue, because they've increased their investment in Bitcoin, is up nine times, $4.6 billion, right? So I think it's important for us to look at it and the fact that Cash App, even without Bitcoin or anything else, Square is actually growing massively, even without the fact that they actually are in Bitcoin. So I think that's a huge piece. I do think that outside of Cash App, because I think within Cash App, people are looking at it as such a big growth. I think that outside of Cash App, Square has a lot of room to grow. So the company is working on expanding its seller system internationally. Last quarter, it launched Square Terminal in Japan. They actually launched a Square Register that basically debuted in both the UK and Australia. Their seller gross profit internationally was up 80% over year over year. 
and it's a huge part of their seller gross profit, meaning that there can continue to be an international expansion. So they can continue to actually grow their business outside the U.S. and grow that business. Because at the end of the day, the U.S. business will be here, but it's how much can they grow internationally? It's the same thing with Netflix a couple of years ago. Is how much can they grow their business internationally? And that's been huge. The last thing is they have $3 billion in cash and equivalents on the balance sheet. And I'm interested to see if Square basically focuses on any other investments or acquisitions, right? So for me, all these factors are huge in determining how big they will get. The other piece is that Square announced last month of the month before that they'd basically start offering checking accounts for businesses and consumers, which is huge, huge, because now you're creating an ecosystem within the Square app that people can just stay without having to go and do things outside of it. And that's a big piece. Anytime you start looking at and just think about Apple, for example, the more you can create an ecosystem for people to want to stay in it, the more profitable and the more sticky you are. The stock price squares about $219. High as well, but it used to be higher. It has come down, I think, 20% from its highs. I think it's picked up a little bit in the past couple of weeks. But if I did not have PayPal, I would be in Square, just to kind of give you an idea there. So another company I think which is important to look at, if it is indeed you wanted to get into a more aggressive instead of, you know, Upstart, for example, which is also a fintech, but a different type of fintech in how they're disrupting the marketplace, right? So the fourth company is very different than any other companies we've discussed before. It's a company called Lemonade. So Lemonade basically provides home insurances, renter's insurance and stuff like that. I think they started doing pet insurances as well. So the company went public, I believe, sometime in 2020. The stock is off its high when it really went up at the beginning of 2021. But again, I look at these as companies that will be here in the long word. So I'm not concerned with short-term disruptions in the price. And it's a company that's still relatively new. So I think if you make an investment in companies like that, you have to hold your money for five plus years because it's just too volatile in the short term to determine that. So one of the things that was important with Lemonade is that it, it expanded its product line and specifically looking at things like auto insurance, because that's something that we'd want them that I think they should basically be looking at to start offering. Well, the company basically announced in its first quarter earnings that auto insurance was officially coming soon. Auto insurance is a huge opportunity for a company like Lemonade by itself, but it allows the company to offer the bundle, multi-line discount many insurance shoppers, uh, customers look for. Again, ecosystem. So to me, sure, you're allowing me to have this home insurance thing, which by the way, the reason why that was so big is the ease of use that it allowed their customers to apply for home insurance, mortgage insurance specifically, and get approved for it. I think a lot of times people say, well, don't other companies offer the same thing? Yes. But does it offer it the same? Does it make it easier to get what you need? And now if you can actually get auto insurance, because of course it's all about bundling different things together, then it creates an even more, a bigger opportunity for Lemonade to get there. So one of the other things that it did, it removed the one barrier to switching for potential customers who have multiple insurance product at another issuer 
and eliminates one reason for existing lemonade customers to look elsewhere as their insurance needs grow, which kind of goes to the point that I was just talking about. If you only have that, then if your needs for insurance starts to grow, you're like, well, I don't want to stay in lemonade because they only have one product. Well, if they're expanding their products, then it allows people to stick within the one ecosystem. The one downside with the auto insurance piece, of course, is it's extremely competitive. Lemonade's going to be going head to head against competitors who've been doing this for years, decades, who've fine-tuned and perfected their business operations over years of experience. So what it'll have is the ability to leverage its AI-based automated platform to keep costs down and offer a competitive price product. These AI platforms are allowing companies to offer a better product at a lower cost, which is why a lot more people are going towards these than these traditional companies that we all know about. It won't be easy, but I just feel like they have the opportunity to do it, right? They haven't really announced a launch date for the auto insurance yet, but they basically said that it probably won't happen in 2021, which is fine, right? I rather they get it right instead of trying to hurry and get it all done. So that's really good. They actually launched an e-bike insurance add-on. It's not something that I'm big on because it's not going to bring that much revenue that car insurance will ultimately generate. But I see continued expansion and growth, and this will likely appeal to the company's core urban apartment dwelling demographic. So I think that's something key to remember. The one thing that I think is is interesting with Lemonade is that they've had a, a recent pullback in the stock price that basically... That's one of the reasons why I started looking at them now is because now that the prices come down, I think 20, 25%, it just really offers an attractive entry point for myself or anyone else who's looking at, hmm, is this a good investment? Should I be making the leap? So I think you should be looking at Lemonade. Do you believe in it? Are you doing your own research? Do you understand what they're doing? Do you believe in the fact that they can be successful at what they're doing? If so, I think it's something that you should be looking at, at adding a position, if not, if you don't already have one. The current price is about $106.17, so a lot less than some of the other prices that I've mentioned. Like I said, it was a lot higher, and so definitely a nice entry point for a company like Lemonade. Finally, and this is my favorite company, and let me just say beforehand that I do own this particular company. I do have some positions here. And this is CrowdStrike. And CrowdStrike basically is, it's a cloud-based software system that uses AI to process about 6 trillion bits of data. So basically, it uses a machine learning to identify malicious activity, whether it involves ransomware, malware, identity theft, or any other attacks on digital assets. The company also has a team ready to respond in in a case where a company needs help after an attack. And look, like unless you've been hiding under a rock, you know that recently there's been a bunch of different ransomware attacks. One against, you know, the oil pipeline that was against the meat plant. And I forgot the third one. But those are becoming more and more common, which means cybersecurity is here to stay. As more and more business are becoming digital, then more and more cyber attacks will potentially be the way to go in the future, which means companies like CrowdStrike will have to have a seat at the table to make sure that they're protecting a lot of these companies, right? So just to give you an example, 
It's predicted that damages ranging from theft or intellectual property or financial data to embezzlement, fraud, will cost companies, utilities, and governments worldwide something like $6 trillion in 2021. So it's going to be here to stay. The company reported year-over-year revenue growth of about 70% in Q1. That's about $302 million. It added 1,524 new customers in the quarter. And so now they have a total of about 11,420 customers. Their customers tend to stick around. That's important, meaning they don't have a lot of retention. The gross retention rate has held steady around at a steady 98% every quarter over the past two years, which means when a customer comes in, they're not leaving. Okay. Those customers tend to go on to increase the number of modules they subscribe on. Because once you basically have a subscription with CrowdStrike, you basically start and then you increase that based on your needs, based on the fact that you like what you're seeing. And so because of that, it's leading to about 125% dollar-based net retention rate. And what that basically means is they're making more money off the customers. They're making a lot more money off customers that are staying and adding to their platform. Protecting your digital assets as you as an individual or companies, is getting more complicated. I mean, people are getting better with how to attack companies. And so it's very important for these companies like CrowdStrike, you know, to deal with these sophisticated hackers. CrowdStrike is in a really great position to benefit from the need of defending against these type of attacks. And CrowdStrike is one of many companies in the cybersecurity space that's basically very popular nowadays. And I just looked at CrowdStrike because when I saw the retention rate, for me, when I do research and I looked at companies, I look at a variety of different things. And when customers tend to stay, that's important. That is important because that just means you have these customers. They're going to generate you the money that you want. And then, of course, they're going to continue to bring more companies in, either because of referrals, word of mouth, et cetera, et cetera. So definitely, that's one of the things. That's one of the reasons why I added I basically added positions. Unfortunately, when I got in, it was a little bit after some of the very popular cyber attacks where the price went up, obviously. So I bought in because I was following the hype, but I'm fine with that. It's a long-term play for me. The current price is about $231.27. So pricey, but again, it's a company that's still, I don't want to say new, but still has so much room to grow. So I don't know that the $231 strike price should scare anyone. So these are five companies that I I have been looking at a little bit more in detail. Square was very interesting to me, even though I own PayPal. I will never own it because I own PayPal. But if you're building a stock portfolio, you should have quite a few different companies so you can diversify your portfolio. And of course, you know the five companies I gave you Though they're all technology companies, because I think, I actually think that we're going to get to a point where pretty much every company will be a technology company. They all do something very different. And so that's how, and that's why I picked these five companies. I think um, they're worth paying attention to. I hope that this specific podcast episode was, was informative. Again, these were not investing advice, financial advice or um, recommendations. These are just opinions of companies that I think you should be looking at if you're looking at companies that you may want to make an investment in. These are five companies that I think you should probably just do some research on and make a decision. You might look at CrowdStrike and be like, I don't want to do business with a company who does cybersecurity. You know, F these companies. I don't care. Lemonade? 
I'm not about that life. Ooh, square. Yeah, sign me up. It's whatever. It's whatever actually works for you, right? So always know that. Always pay attention to that. Always make decisions based on the research that you do. So keep that up. As always, guys, thank you for supporting the podcast. Appreciate you. Make sure you follow me on Instagram. Don't be broke, be woke. Have these daily um, financial tips and content on there. Subscribe to the podcast. Download the episodes. Leave a comment. Leave a, a review on Apple. I'll appreciate it. And as always, try to be woke. Don't be broke. I'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.